Welcome to VIV Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of Business of Vancouver. I'm Kirk Point, publisher and editor-in-chief. You know, the federal election might be hogging center stage politically, but the BC Liberal leadership race in the last week or so has added another candidate, and she arrives with instant prominence. Renee Merrifield, the MLA for Kelowna Mission, is a relatively new arrival on the political scene, a, a, a rookie MLA, and of course, the first woman in the race to succeed Andrew Wilkinson. We want to talk to her about her ideas, how she's going to win the, the contest and uh, win the premiership. Good to see you. Nice to see you too. Yeah, well, it, it, let's start with uh, this uh, Horgan fellow. Uh, how do you beat him? Oh, you know, um, it's uh, some of it is just to be different. It's part of the reason that I entered into the race in the first place. It was, uh, you know, a contemplation of if you want change, then you have to be willing to be part of making a difference. And uh, I think that there's uh, some immediate juxtapositions between myself and Horgan. Um, you know, a couple decades of age, some uh, some white hair, but mine might be uh, uh, somewhat uh, <laughs> somewhat uh, uh, conjured. But uh, and then also our you know our backgrounds. Um, yes, gender as well, but our, our backgrounds. I I'm an entrepreneur. I have been a business leader within my community for the past 25 years. I came from nothing. I you know school of hard knocks and a money mart loan on a Toyota Tercel. And uh, from that, I've, uh, you know, built a, a company with over 31 companies under its umbrella across Western Canada. So it's, uh, it's definitely a different perspective that it gives me a different, um, uh, a different way of doing things and seeing how, how this province can run. I'm going to bet that you remember the interest rate on your money, Mart Oh, my chicken. It was 18%. I was like, <laughs> it could have just been a credit card, but my credit cards are already maxed. So uh, that money, Mart loan, it was. Was when you think about uh, launching uh, a business and being an entrepreneur, what's the scariest part? I always, uh, you know, my daughter asked me when, when she was maybe six or seven years old, you know, I understand what dad does for a living, but what do you do every day? Like, what do you do at work? And I, uh, the year was 2009. I was uh, stressed to the max. <laughs> um, I had 180 employees at the time. I, uh, you know, I, I didn't know how I was going to make the next payroll. And I looked at her and tears welling up in my eyes. And I said, every day I go to work and I feed 180 families. And that's truly what I believed I was doing. I knew that those paychecks were um, were taken home every you know every two weeks, and it's what people lived off of. And so I saw that as my calling. I saw that as 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 my my role. Um, I also saw my role within our, our business community as being a sustaining force and in being around tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and really um, contributing over the long term. I think that that. That that's you know truly the most difficult aspect of being a business leader is that um, is that there is no give up, there is no let go. It's a, it's a constant, um, but it's a privilege, and I counted it as such. But I mean, I, I wrote the other day. I wrote actually about John Horgan that you know in politics you're not so much elected as you are owned by the public. You know the commitment that you make in an entrepreneurial sense 
every so often you get to go off the clock a little bit. Are you noticing in politics that you're never really off that clock? I was never off the clock as an entrepreneur ever. Um, you know, within my business, I uh, the joke around the office was that I worked 40 hours a week while I was on vacation. <laughs> the rest of the time I worked 80 hours a week. Um, you know, I thought it was really important uh, that I was available, that I was um, present. I think as a leader, you know, more than, you know, you needing to make a decision because I, I, I never wanted to be the knot hole for, for my company was to know that I was there. You know, I think that, that, that the management, the, you know, the people on the, you know, on the sites, they wanted to know, you know, that she cared, that she was around, that she was there. And I think that as an MLA, it's the same, it's the same characteristic, whether it's a business, whether it's a province, whether it's a community, whether it's a society of philanthropy, it's about people. And for me, people is about presence and leadership is about being present with those around you. Yeah. You, you, um, you chose politics, though. Why'd you choose it? Uh, I told my my um, you know my executive team about four years ago that I had one one more um, you know one more service in me. There was like something more that I wanted to do. I you know I, I said I just I'm I'm restless and I told them at that time that I was either going to write my PhD and uh, and change the face of business forever or I was going to go into politics and work from the other side. I felt like within our industries within our um, within our role, I always had this grassroots political side where I was always trying to draw attention to how government and how policy would affect all the way down um, to you know to the to the to the streets. And um, and in this particular role, I get to um, hopefully affect policy before it gets there, and uh, and in a positive way. So for me, it was. Uh, I, I didn't have much time to decide. I, you know, I received a phone call and was literally, literally given 30 seconds. And when I thought it was a joke, they said 29, 28, 27. Um, and so I did, I jumped. Um, and it was based on a conversation that I'd had with a good friend over the course of the summer in which he said, man, if the BC Liberals ever gave you a phone call, you'd be an idiot to say no. <laughs> So uh, knowing who I was and what I was about and what my passions were and how I wanted to serve, um, it was a natural fit. When you, but you had to consider also, you know, in, in having run uh, federally, you had to figure out what the provincial scene was going to be. Um, does it feel better to do this than you think it might have been to do the federal thing? I would say I've always been very passionate uh, and very involved in every level of government. I was privileged enough to be the Canadian delegate to the UN in 2015. I served on um, the Council for Women and Girls, you know, for three years. That was a national council. I've served on national boards um, across Canada. My own business is across four provinces. So I definitely have always had an ear to how things work federally. But I've also served on things like the Provincial Economic Council for four and a half years or Interior Health Authority Board. And I'm not meaning to read my CV, but I'm definitely um, someone who was attuned to both. And, and uh, what I would say about uh, this particular role, way less travel, although COVID might have affected that somewhat. 
but also way more grassroots. Just I, I, you know, as I stated, stated earlier, I love people. <laughs> Nothing makes me happier than a day where, you know, I get to see uh, just a ton of different people and hear stories and, and understand them. And I feel like in this particular role, it's a great fit when it comes to that, when it comes to health, when it comes to education, when it comes to things that people really care about and that they see a, an exact effect on their lives, which I think is a, is a privilege and fun. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, before you arrived on the provincial scene, uh, here, was, here was a government at the time trying to contend with the pandemic and obviously quickly called an election, brought, brought it in, you know, in a lot of, in some ways you're, you're a bit of a beneficiary of it. But I wonder whether the, the second major challenge for you in this, in, in, in governance in this point, really are the forest fires and and what what this has really done in terms of shaping your own policies about what you what might be your priorities as a as a as a leader of a party i think you're 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 really um bang on there um Kirk. i i do think that while the pandemic has been around now for you know going on two years almost um We've had forest fires and very significant forest fires for three out of the last five years. And when I look at the impact of forest fires and just this morning, and I need to still verify. So I'm going to I'm going to look it up because I was listening on the radio to um, a researcher who was talking about the effects of smoke and they were drawing attention to premature births and how they were, um, they were tracking them in, in areas where there was a, a, a higher prevalence of smoke and I, wildfire smoke, I should say. And I just thought about that. And I thought whether it's, whether it's our health, our lungs, whether it's, uh, you know, our environment. And, you know, I heard on the radio yesterday, um, listening to one of the, the talk radios um, shows where it was talking about all of the environments and ecosystems we've lost for our wildlife. So yes, we've lost whole towns like Lytton, um, you know, Monte Creek, uh, but we've also lost ecosystems of, of wildlife and, you know, the interconnectedness of our lack of prevention of wildfires, how we have really walked away from some of the indigenous practices that were so important in how they, they stewarded the forests. Um, and then also how we have neglected to really look at our forestry practices and say, how do we modernize these? How do we bring these um, into a more holistic conversation? Uh, now we've got, you know, the the industry is actually fighting fires because they're losing, you know, they're losing their their cut blocks. We've got, you know, us all as society really suffering through smoke. And you know, I was on the Lower Mainland a few a few weeks ago, and and there was smoke. <laughs> and uh, you know, on the island, they were complaining about smoke. You know, it's something that's really affecting all of us, and something that we need to look very seriously at. Uh, you know, one year of forest fires emits enough pollutants to undo 10 years of emissions controls in BC. We need to seriously take a look at it. And all of a sudden you start reading articles from around the world, looking at BC and saying, whoa, what you guys are doing is failing. Time to get up with technology. You know, I'm reading about a BC company that's fighting fires in California using night vision and thinking, wow, like how much farther ahead we would be 
if we actually had a more holistic, a more preventative approach to um, to uh, wildfires, but also to our forests and yeah. to uh, you know our environment in general. So when I hear you hear you say all these things, um, talk about importance of learning uh, from Indigenous tradition, importance of, of dealing uh, more sustainably with our forests. Um, it doesn't sound like someone who is positioned to the right of center politically, if you don't mind. Um, where do you station yourself, do you think? Oh, my, uh, my heart is on my left. It really is. Um, I care a lot about people and about the sustainability aspects of who we are as a culture um, and who we are as a society. But my pocketbook is firmly on the right. And, uh, and I do believe in um, our environment and our economy working in harmony. And that is something that I haven't, uh, I haven't seen a lot of leadership in. And I believe that there is more work to be done on that front in particular. Um, we need to take a very hard look at our economy and how we're going to plan forward and move forward. Yes, I am in the Okanagan, um, which is really the, the, the heartbeat of small business within our province. But if you look at economists and what they say about the need for entrepreneurs, the need for small business as being really the backbone of resiliency within an economy and how hard our small businesses have been hit, not just with the pandemic, but also with the, you know, the death of a thousand cuts um, with respect to taxation, with respect to bureaucracy and regulation. You know, I just met with two different businesses begging them to stay in BC um, because they were moving. They were moving to Alberta because they were being given industrial land or they were being, you know, ensured uh, that they were going to have a labor force or that they were, and they just said their taxation, even for our executives, the taxation is so much better there. Of course, we're going to go there. It just doesn't make sense um, for us not to. If we want to have all of the aspects that you know that we care about in terms of you know our society or um, our healthcare or our wellness or our environment, we have to have very serious and and fierce I call them conversations about our economy, about our business, about business attraction, and really opening the doors again and saying you know we're here and we want to work together with you, and I think in that. In that marriage, if I would, um, I think that there's a, a real synergy and a fun that takes place when you look at your institutions and your research and your innovation and, you know, cross it with your industry in a way that actually becomes almost like a living laboratory of sorts. Um, and that allows us to really move forward as a as a province and become not just a Canadian leader, but a global leader in a lot of what we uh, what we are great at doing. I hope you don't mind. I'm going to ask you a personal question, and and I and I approach this with no agenda, and you know, with, uh, and I'm agnostic about it, and I I mean that with no pun intended. But you're, you're a person of faith, right? You're a person of faith, and and in this country, we um, we don't talk much about that in our politics, except to in some cases disparage it as as being um, not in keeping with the times uh, or something. I mean, the, the political discourse about uh, religiosity and its intersection with politics is is not terribly sophisticated, I find. Um, but I'm wondering if you can shed some light for me, and, and I really mean this in a genuine way. 
shed some light for me on on its um, its impact on you and how you how you operate, what, what, how how you think it differentiates you. Um, I think if you look at uh, how I've lived, whether that is um, as someone who believes wholeheartedly in integrity, in um, in authenticity, and being true to who I am and what I'm about, I think that that really uh, stems from a confidence or a um, or my belief system. But I would also say that what I've learned, and I learned this as you know, as a young child growing up with somewhat of a renegade uh, father who was a pastor, um, who really taught me a lot about love and a lot about uh, grace and a lot about um, loving everyone. And I, I think that that gets lost a lot within our society. But when I look within our communities, within our societies, you know, our, our, our faith organizations are the ones that take care of those that are in need in a in a large way, not in not in an exclusive way, not only, but it is that altruism, that philanthropy, that belief that they they need to extend, that they that is it's their it's their call, but it's more than that, it's their gift um, to be able to do that. I think is is a wonderful thing, and um, and I have many different uh, you know many different communities of faith that I. I, I, you know, I, I speak with, I welcome, you know, for me, it's not, it's not exclusive. It's something that I believe we need to um, enhance and, um, and allow to, to take care of those within society that they are able to. Do you understand though, the, the apprehension that some have about, about hearing someone speak openly about faith and about, about the conviction of, of religion um, with given the fear that can somehow possess people that the clock gets turned back on certain things that that now feel much more fundamentally fair and just in in society and, and for women in particular so can you yeah. would that help help me with an answer to the question that wasn't really a question so i you know i can see that and i think that for uh uh, for seasons in history and within society, um, religion is used as a weapon. It's used as a division. It's used as a label. Um, and and I don't think it's just with religion. I think it could be, you could have that same conversation around gender. Um, you could have that same conversation around sexual orientation or, you know, sexual identification. And I think that, that those divisions is what we need to heal within our society. It's what we need to um, create understanding around. And whether that's, you know, with culture or whether that's with, uh, you know, like I said, sexual identity or gender or whether that's with, with gender we, in general, we need to actually, um, yeah, just, just take a, a pause and also understand that there's so much more that unites us than what divides us. And, uh, and I, I truly believe that we can create that unity and create that harmony um, while still holding differences, uh, very, um, it, very welcoming to other beliefs or other systems. Yeah, I mean, because I'm sure you, you read the postmortem on the election within your party and, and uh, you know, obviously you weren't there at the time, but, but it, I, for a lot of BC liberals, 
they seemed very discouraged by the the way that some of the social conservatives were permitted in a lot of ways to keep talking and, and essentially making it much more difficult for the party. As, as someone who wants to be its leader, um, where will it fit, Rene, in, in, in how you operate? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and, and really, I see it as uh, the promotion of, uh, in a big tent party, um, diversity and understanding that diversity does not mean uh, a cancellation of, of a belief, but it does mean that there is um, a focus on that which unites rather than that which divides. Um, I do think that there are certain aspects of society that have moved forward, that have uh, evolved forward, that we need to be very, um, very true to. But having said that, we've done a very poor job, and I won't say just within the BC Liberals, I'll say in general, um, amongst all political parties, of really focusing on all of the divisions, focusing on all of the differences, rather than focusing on the task at hand, which is making, let's call it, in this particular context, BC the best that it possibly can be for all British Columbians. And what I think that we haven't done is include in that conversation the voices. And when voices don't feel included, then yes, they become louder or they become, you know, off, you know, on their own, rather than actually having and saying, okay, you know, I'm aligned with that. How do I actually create that? And I look at some masterful examples in the past of, of great leaders who have been able to not just have it be a, a token of diversity or a photograph that looks fantastic, but actually um, a, a, a true diversity where there are um, the voices around the table, but that there is consensus that is built and consensus that is brought forward and taken forward. And it's on those things that uh, people are united around that actually uh, is what's promoted and that we have done not a great job in. And I think we can do much better. Yeah, I mean, last point on this one, and I don't want to belabor it unduly, but but I mean, be, because of the way that it can somehow stick out and seem um, quite out of keeping and quite out of tone with what a big tent party tries to do, um, because it, it can alienate quite a few people quite quickly, um, that then usually goes up to the leader and says, well, is the leader going to have the sense of discipline? Uh, to to keep everybody essentially on that same page. Um, you know, you've, you've been a leader for much of your life here. Uh, what's what's the what's the secret of keeping people on the same page that you want to apply when if you win this race? Um, and that, that's a that's a beautiful question. I, I like it because uh, as a leader, I've always believed in carrot, not stick. I've always believed in more conversation, not less. I've always believed in relationship, uh, wholehearted relationship over um, conformity. And I think that as the leader, uh, I would focus much more on those aspects on making sure that people felt, and, and I, I mean, it's the campaign slogan I've chosen, building better belonging. 
um, that people knew that they that their conversation, that their perspective was welcomed, that they were going to have a place around the table, that it wasn't an us and them or a, or a click or or some form of a of a, you know a decision making faction that was over there, but that there was actually succession being taken place, that there was an inclusion that was taking place, that there was um, a team that everyone wanted to be a part of. And I, I believe that that's possible. And in fact, I don't just believe it. I have, I have a success record of 25 years and whether that's on boards or whether that's on um, within my own companies, that has been something I am probably most proud of that I have always fostered team and looked for succession. I always say the first day of any CEOs, uh, any CEO, they should be looking for their replacement. <laughs> you know, like who's gonna take over next? And I yeah. don't think that um, with, you know, heart, uh, you know, fierce competition and, and uh, cutthroat politics that that takes place. I think you can be very savvy. I think you can be very uh, strategic. And I think that um, you can do that as a team. And as a team that is unified, that is collective, that does have a voice, and that that voice has has been done through a wrestle um, that happens within caucus and as representatives of every voice that is out there um, within the writings that we we are are in. And yet, you know that your opponents will define you by whatever extremes exist, whether they are to the left or to the right, uh, whether they're up or down. That's that's how you'll be uh, you'll be defined and portrayed. So I, I guess it's a second way of asking the same question. You know, the your predecessor, um, you know, obviously had some difficulties in in mastering that um, that discipline, that uh, one voice uh, for the party. You feel you can do that? Oh, I know I can absolutely wholeheartedly. I um, it is possible. And it's only possible through relationship. It's only possible uh, through a different way of moving forward. And that has not been done before. And uh, it is what's necessary. And it is what is being done almost, you know, almost in a universal context. And, you know, I'll speak, um, uh, you know, from a business perspective, you know, you go through, through ICD directorship training and you learn all about how to take disparate voices and collect or how to build consensus. And whether it's through that or, or writing MBA you know, dissertations or whether it's, it's through uh, just experience on, yes, you can go behind closed doors and you have tough, difficult conversations. But when we walk out, we walk out together and we walk out unified. And, um, and I, I, it, it takes longer. It's a, it's, a, it's a more difficult process, but it gets faster. The more that you do it, the more that you trust each other, the more that you build on, on great principles of, of shared value systems and structures, which is done in business. It is done, um, you know, uh, it, and it, we used to call it corporate social responsibility, or, or uh, you know, or, or doing things correctly. And now it's a, uh, it's it's through ESG, or it's through, you know, um, the the very DNA of of corporate North America. And I I believe we need to pull that into politics. And I don't know why it's this last bastion standing over here that it just hasn't uh, hasn't happened in, but it needs to, and it needs to actually be um, 
be a, 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 port, a part of, of, of how we move government forward, of how we move everyone in BC forward. And I think we've heard some really loud voices calling out for a different way over the course of the last six years. And uh, the letter from um, Jody Wilson-Raybould rings true, um, you know, in, in how she uh, basically said, I, you know, I'm not leaving to spend more time with my family or to do all these other things. You know, I'm leaving because this, this environment is toxic. And mm -hmm. I, uh, I think that we need to change the environment. And I'm not saying that, you know, that, that the BC legislature is, is toxic, but I would say that the way we've done politics in the past needs to be rectified. The way the BC Liberals have, um, have seen their way through needs to be changed and needs to be altered and needs to be remembered in, in how it started and in how things were, were born. And, uh, and I, I, I do think though, it's a, it's a new day, it's a new way, um, you know, and, and I think it's time for, for us to really, yeah, for, for us to really maximize that. All right, last question, and I've asked everybody who's in the race so far this question. How are you taking care of yourself? Oh, that's so good. Um, I have a, a, an amazing family who I absolutely adore and love spending time with. So I make sure that I connect with them on, if not a daily, a weekly basis, because my my kids are beasts. In fact, I think I have the oldest kids out of all the other candidates. Um, so my kids are are old, and and it and you know my relationship with them looks a little bit different now. But I really do enjoy spending time with them. And 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 my spouse is awesome. He is uh, a rock star in his own right, and I absolutely uh, need him for uh, just that voice of of calm and that voice of reassurance and fun. Um, I have an amazing network of, um, of, of female entrepreneurs, business leaders, and, uh, and friends. And they are my grounding. <laughs> they, they are my uh, sanity. And they are definitely ones that would say, Renee, I think you uh, need to take a look at this uh, in a little bit better way. Um, I love getting outdoors. I love hiking. I've got two Bernese mountain dogs that are just... Um, yeah, beasts and love to to take their daily walks and and so it is something. I need that daily exercise and connection with nature to really make sure that um, that I'm grounded and that I'm I'm seeing things uh, as correctly as possible as a human. But definitely um, that I I am also creative and seeing a path through um, whatever we're in we're we're going through. Can you count how many of the eighty-seven writings you've been to? Ah. Uh, no, but we're almost at half, so that's pretty good. <laughs> we've got yeah. we've got some uh, some ones coming uh, this next week that are that are going to be pretty fun. But yeah, almost half probably by this point. Well, stay well, stay stay sane. You know, my goodness. It's, it's, <laughs> Thank it's, you. It's, it's intent to improve sanity uh, as time goes on. So, um, and and we'll catch up again as we get through the campaign. But I want to thank you for your time today, Renee. Oh, I would love to. Anytime. And thank you so much for this uh, th this conversation. Thank Great. you. Renee Merrifield is an entrance into the BC Liberal Leadership Race. She's the MLA for Kelowna Mission. I'm Kurt LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief of Business to Vancouver. Thanks for watching.